This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Havenly is the most delightful way to design spaces in your home on any budget. Partner with an interior designer to create a beautiful design based on your unique style and space. You can then buy whatever you love directly through Havenly's platform with access to hundreds of retailers and the guaranteed best prices. You may not think of yourself as the kind of person who gets a designer. I, I certainly didn't. For one, I thought, hey, I have pretty good taste, right? So I can do this myself. It turns out a designer offers something that you can't, which is literally another perspective. Also, these are professionals. They can see problems that you didn't even know you have. What's more, they are familiar with a range of products and a range of prices. So if you have high style ambitions, but a more practical budget, Havenly can help you find the things that will give you the look you want without paying the price that you cannot afford. Everyone could use a little help with designing a space in their home, and Havenly is the easiest and most affordable way to do it. They've completed tens of thousands of beautiful designs. Their team of designers works with you online to design the living space of your dreams, whether it be a guest room, a family room, a kitchen, whatever. Personally, I had a home office done. I completely love it. Uh, my husband sometimes comes in and like admires it, how, how much it suits me, how it reflects my taste, even though... All I did was sort of give a style board, um, and I had a few specific ideas of what I wanted, and the stylist just brought it all together. Again, bringing in some things I didn't even realize I would love. So Havenly helps you every step of the way, using your budget and your style to shape the design you want at the price you can afford, because everyone deserves a beautiful living space. Start by taking the free Havenly Style Quiz. It's a fun way to learn your unique style and helps Havenly match you with the perfect designer to put together the perfect room. Turn that Pinterest board into reality. Try Havenly today by visiting havenly.com friends and get 25% off your design package. That's Havenly, H-A-V-E-N-L-Y.com slash friends for 20% off your design package. Havenly.com friends. This is Rebecca Carroll in for Anna Marie Cox, and you're listening to With Friends Like These. I am really happy to be here. I'm the editor of Special Projects at WMYC New York Public Radio, where I work on and develop 
a bunch of different things that run the gamut from live events to podcasts to news coverage, cultural commentary. Um, and I'm also a critic at large for the LA Times and a columnist for Shondaland. Um, I've written some books and I write about regularly race and politics to a lesser extent, but it's sort of all politics and social justice and gender. Um, and so today we're going to talk about interracial relationships in the Trump era. It has been well and widely documented, both in my writing and my circle of friends, that I plan to marry a black man. I just was going to because I was adopted and raised in a white family, white town, white public schools. And I really super needed to create the family that I didn't have. As it turns out, though, I did kind of create the family I didn't have, but in another way. I met a white man who was racially conversant, which is what I called it then. Nobody said woke then. Um, but here was this guy who understood what it was like to be seen as a Black person, certainly not to be a Black person, but seen as a and treated as a Black person in America because he is a sociologist and um, studies race and history. And he was literally on his way to a conference on race and social policy the day that we met. That's a true story. So he he became my white family that that didn't do that, that was never woke, that was never curious, that never thought about what it was like for me to be a Black daughter, a Black sister, a, the only Black kid in school. So in that way, my husband is that white family, that racially conversant white family that I never had. He thinks about race and identity and Blackness in every conversation he has, and not just with me, which is how I feel like every white person should be, like at least aspire to be, not just white families with Black people in them, but that's whatever, another another conversation. That said, at the end of the day, however woke he is, he's still white. And 15 years in during this fucking administration and also with Black Panther opening in like a week, this shit just got very, very real. So I thought it would be really interesting and helpful to talk with other folks in interracial relationships. And so here we are. This is an excerpt from an essay that I wrote for um, a collection of essays called The Meaning of Michelle, which was edited by Veronica Chambers and came out last year. It's a, a sort of a tribute to Michelle Obama. Among the most remarked upon attributes of Zora Neale Hurston is how centered she was in her blackness and how racially ambiguous she appeared. Light-skinned and likely identified by the term at the top of her own personally created color scale, high yaller, she could have easily passed for white in various circles, and yet she didn't and couldn't. Wasn't about that. She was ardently committed to her culture and kinfolk and her place among them. There's no mistaking Michelle Obama for anything but black, although one gets the clear impression that she would evince the same cultural devotion if she looked anything like Hurston. And that, the full immersion, gratitude, and integrity regarding her blackness, and that of those she loves, is perhaps the most appreciable reason that Barack chose her. I might be less inclined to be so bold in my presumption about why the president of the United States loves his wife, or now the former president, if not for the deep well of empathy I have for the younger Barack Obama, the Barack in Dreams from My Father, a story of race and inheritance, who writes, Away from my mother, away from my grandparents, I was engaged in a fitful interior struggle. I was trying to raise myself to be a black man in America. And beyond the given of my appearance, no one around me seemed to know exactly what that meant. Michelle Obama knew what that meant. 
And as, as a Black adoptee growing up in a white family, it also fell upon me to raise myself to be Black, whilst no one around me had any idea what that meant. But I was sure as hell going to find a partner who did. Whenever or if ever it came time to get married or to settle in with someone for the duration. About this intention, I wrote some years ago, I was going to marry Black men. That was the mandate. He would validate my own blackness and allow me to re-emerge as the black woman I always knew I was but wasn't able to express. I would happily freely shed any and all remnants of any identity shaped by being raised in a white family, attending all white schools, and the imbued notion that I would be a better and more appealing person, friend, girlfriend, if I were white. It didn't end up that way for me, because ultimately you love who you love. And as it turns out, if you are black— Who you marry doesn't make you any less or more so. But I understand well and recognize duly that Barack Obama could not deny himself the company of a woman who loves herself and her blackness when she is laughing and then again when she's looking mean and impressive. Melissa Phoebos is a queer feminist and English professor and the author of the memoir Whip Smart, the essay collection Abandon Me, and a second essay collection, Girlhood, forthcoming in 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I've I've not been able to get all the way through anything really right now, but but Abandon Me is just achingly beautiful. Oh, uh, it's you. like a gift. Every page thank is like so a gift. Much. So we're talking about <laughs> interracial relationships in in the Trump era. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like interracial relationships are obviously complex and fraught anyway. But right Mm -hmm. now we have this administration that is literally trying to take us back to Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. that is openly racist and white supremacist Mm -hmm. and misogynistic. Um, And so it's it's a trying time. We also Mm -hmm. have this Me Too, Time's Mm -hmm. Up watershed moment. So... I wanted to talk to you because you hit a lot of marks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're in a yeah. queer relationship mm-hmm. with a black woman. Mm-hmm. And you are, I mean, optically speaking, white presenting. Yeah. Right? And so, I mean, that's that's a question I feel I feel a lot because my background is a little bit, uh, a friend of mine uses the term mixy. Um, and so I have sort of my interior relationship to my own sort of otherness and mixed ethnic heritage, but I am fully aware of the white privilege that I enjoy and that I'm read that way. And so that's how I, 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 you know, I'm the white person in my relationship for sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so your current relationship is how long and, you know, we were talking a little bit before we were rolling um, and you said you just sort of have always been thinking about these things, intersectionality, Mm -hmm. of course. And, Mm -hmm. um, but, but today you sort of started to think, what, what, what does, what is that about? What does that yeah, like. so our relationship actually, um, tomorrow is our one-year anniversary. <laughs> wow, see now, uh-huh. when I met you all, I know, it, it seems was like you all have been it together forever. Well, I think both of us think of it as, um, you know, and maybe this also sounds very much like a person in one year of a relationship, but it took a lot of work to get to this relationship. Right, right. And so, yeah, um, yeah it, it's definitely my healthiest, most mature. I mean, she's my my person, you know, um, and it's not my first interracial relationship. And that's sort of what I meant. Um, when I said before we started taping that I'd been thinking about it before then, because, um, I come from an interracial family, you know, I would say maybe a majority of my friendships are interracial friendships. And so I think like that experience has created a way of moving through the world where I am never not aware of how my experience would be different if it was one of my beloveds, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think particularly right now, 
you know, that's always true, right? Like, that's always been true. But right now, it feels so pointed. And particularly, I think, because my partner and I move through some similar spaces. We're both English professors. We both talk about race and intersectionality in our classrooms. And it's so obvious on a daily basis how that's a different experience for her than it is for me, you know? And I, right. And so... The parallel here, of course, is mm-hmm. that, I mean, I'm not a professor, but I write about mm-hmm. race um, a, a great deal and identity and all the rest. And my husband is um, a professor of sociology mm-hmm. and, and and teaches race and gender. And so we, we, ha- we have those ideas and those conversations a lot. And we're also mm-hmm. parenting a child mm-hmm. together. I'm, I wonder, is it only folks who are like studied <laughs> who can be it properly in interracial relationships? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, like I think for me, if I didn't, it, I, it's, I don't know how to imagine it, but it's weird. I, one of the thoughts I was having this morning that I was trying to parse out where I was like, being in an interracial relationship, especially right now, request, like you just have to know how to listen. You know what I mean? And I feel like people who are white, who have white relationships, who move through white spaces, like they can have consciousness, they can have sympathy, but they aren't necessarily practiced at receiving someone else's experience that's harder than their own, you know? And so I don't, you know. Is that know. fundamentally though about compassion or I mean I sometimes think of it as like a weird gene you know like because I know a lot of white people who are compassionate Mm -hmm. who don't know jack and aren't curious Mm -hmm. about it and you know when we first got together my husband I I was really really skeptical (laughs) I was really like what's in this for you what what, do you have like a thing Mm -hmm. or do you Mm -hmm. know like I thought maybe he because he has historically only dated black or brown women. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's very, very white. And he grew mm-hmm. up in New Jersey and his parents aren't interested or conversant in race at, really at all. Right. And it was sort of like he just, he had this weird yeah. gene where he yeah. felt drawn to, in a kind of quiet way, yeah. to culture and music mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, ideas that were more fully alive mm-hmm. than what he felt whiteness was. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the, my favorite things that he's ever said, um, we, we, a couple, I think I've, I've written about this. Um, we had a couple over for dinner and we were talking about race and our son and how we're encouraging him to black identify. And they said, mm-hmm. well, are, aren't you afraid that you're depriving him of his white side? Right. God. Right. And so, and my husband said, I mean, what is that? What is yeah. whiteness? Like yeah. it's, it's nothing. It is nothing. And it's like, you know, it's my girlfriend had, um, I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this. I didn't ask her, but um, she had a a student who was responding to an assignment that she had given in a class where it's like a comp class, but they're focusing on sort of race and identity. And, and he was like complaining about how we don't have like white appreciation day or we have holidays. (laughs) And it was like, how do you say to him in a way that's not enraged? (laughs) Like every day is white appreciation day. And also you're not going to like what you hear on the day that we celebrate white appreciation day. Like it's bad news. You know, did she tell you how she responded to that? Um, It was in a written assignment. So I don't, I don't know that she will. I mean, she'll probably address it in writing, but not in the way that she did to me. But I mean, that's a perfect example of sort of, I'm not sure that I would get that response from a white student if we were having that conversation. Because we have had that conversation in classes. And I think, you know, and maybe your husband can speak to this too. Like in the classroom, when we're talking about race, we're talking, especially in this climate, um, 
as a white appearing person in the front of the classroom, particularly I think as a white male professor, the students are not going to push back in the same way. They're not going to identify a position with the person who's talking in the front of the room. They're not going to get defensive in the same way or think or perceive their professor as angry or accusing them, you know, in the same way that I think um, happens if it's a person of color at the front of the room leading a discussion about race, you know? And so outside the classroom, mm-hmm. um, just in your sort of everyday lives, um, you know, we, uh, several years ago, Chris was up for a position, just named my person. <laughs> my husband was up for a position at the University of Florida in Tallahassee. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I just had no idea. I just no yeah. idea. Like Florida is Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida is Margaritaville, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the deep South, but oh, it is. It is. And so we went to this recommended restaurant and mm-hmm. four people got up and walked out. Mm-hmm. Have you had experiences like that? Not with my partner, but with my family. Um, my father's Puerto Rican and... You know, I remember going on family vacations. I don't remember where we were, but we were not in any kind of deep south, but we might have been in Florida. We were on a vacation somewhere warm, and we went into a restaurant and just watched other people get seated again and again and again. This is with my uncle, with my Puerto Rican side of the family, and this is my, like, my father's fairly light-skinned, but his brother isn't. Um, and he was infuriated and was like, we're leaving, and we left. Um, and I didn't know what was going on, mm-hmm. right? And it had to be explained to me afterward. I was probably younger than 10. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I've had, like, that's partly where that awareness, I think, comes from for me. Um, and with my partner, we haven't had specific experiences like that. But, you know, we have talked a lot, especially since the last election, about, you know, she lived in the South for a long time, spent a lot of her childhood in Arkansas, um, and lived in Nashville for a long time. And that's where she spent sort of her happiest adult years. And she now says, like, I don't know if I can go back. Like, I don't know if I could go back anywhere down there, you know, like, um, cause we talk, we live in separate places now. And so we talk about like, where could we live and where couldn't we live? And, it's a really, really short list mm-hmm. because there aren't that many places where she would feel safe or where I think she would mm-hmm, be safe, mm-hmm. you know? It's exactly how I feel about going back to New Hampshire where I was yeah. raised. But when, um, does she mean because of white folks that are there? Yeah. Or because in racism? Okay. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not who because else? She's because, well, not because <laughs> she's in an interracial relationship. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think it's, no, no. I think it's absolutely because of white folks. And, you know, and, and you know, like for all of my... Consciousness, I have blind spots about this too. Just this past weekend, we were driving through Western New York um, in this like some little rural town in Western New York on our way to Buffalo. um, And we passed a roller skating rink. And I was like, look, because we're always wanting to go roller skating and never going. And I was like, let's go. And she was like, are you kidding? (laughs) And I was like, oh. Right. Of course. And it's like, and it's not even because we're gay, right? It's because she's black and we're in a red county in rural Western New York. And it's like, it's not just the South, you know, like it's New Hampshire. It's like, she's not going to walk in there and she shouldn't. And that was probably true before now, but certainly not now. And how does that make you feel, you know, for her and for you and for the two of you? Um, It makes me feel wildly protective of her and like at the same time scared and powerless because I am, you know what I mean? And like this, it's the same feeling that I get. Like there've been a number of moments in the past year where she is overcome with despair, you know, and, 
and I completely understand it and I see it and there's nothing that I can really do or say except love her and listen, you know? I can't say that it's going to be okay or that let's go somewhere else where it will be because there is nowhere, you know? There is nowhere. And and that's a reality that she has to exist in and has existed in to some degree her whole life, but that right now is is more acute. It's you know? really, really heightened. So it's yeah. terrifying and it it's making me feel like I'm going to cry just talking about it because like I so desperately want to say something and I'm good at saying things when people are upset, but there's there is nothing to do except like hold her hand and listen, you know? I think also those of us who are in interracial relationships right now at this moment that is so intense are also kind of uniquely poised to figure out the way forward. Mm -hmm. So you're talking Mm -hmm. about listening Mm -hmm. and loving, Mm -hmm. um, but what, what do we think about in terms of, you know, action or, or activism? You know, like I, part, part of me feels you know, my husband is one of the good guys. He's one of the good ones. You know, mm-hmm. he's he he is right thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when it comes to showing up and showing out, yeah. yeah, like I don't necessarily want him to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm sort of it's in the same way that I want to look across the table mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. black and brown skin. I want to be in solidarity and union yeah. with other black folks, yeah. which is why my son and I are going to go and see yeah. Black Panther together yeah. at an all black theater. Yeah. Um, but so as, as a white person in, or a white appearing yeah. person in a relationship with a black woman, what does it, what does it look like when it comes to the women's March or, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. these issues surrounding me too. And, and, and yeah, I feel, I feel really conscious of it. And in some, you know, I understand. And she is very straightforward about like her need to be in black company and to see black people. And, you know, right now she lives in a place where that's not true. And like, she's starving, you know, like it's terrible. She's, you know, and, um, I mean, that's certainly where chosen family comes in for for me, (laughs) for sure. But, but in the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I have like, that doesn't feel like a, like, I completely understand that she needs to be also in some like all black and brown spaces. Like there are things that she needs that I can't, be a part of. And that's completely okay. You know what I mean? Like my priority is that she have those whenever she needs them. And when it comes to activism, you know, the way that it has come up or like my thinking around that has, has manifested is also that in some ways I feel like it's my, it's more my obligation. Like I need to go march, right? Because it's safer for me to do that. Like I can go hold signs and go stand in the streets and yell and feel relatively safe that violence is not going to be committed to me by the police who are watching us. You know what I mean? And I don't think she has that safety. And so in, in many ways, I feel like the onus is more on me to do certain kinds of activism. You know, like I totally respect if she wants to stay home and be safe when things like that are going on, you know? And so safety obviously is mm-hmm. a, is a huge issue, but also just in terms of yeah. of being together, yeah. allyship, that whole allyship yeah. thing that yeah. <laughs> was trending a couple years ago. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, and I think like it's so much work just to be black in America. You know, like there's so much work and survival that needs to happen just to be that. You know what I mean? That I don't. You know, I just respect whatever she needs to do to be okay, right? And for me, I feel like if I'm tired and I don't feel like it or I feel discouraged or whatever, like most of the time I'm still going to go out 
and march and do and make the phone calls and whatever, you know? Um, and I feel like it hasn't come up really her sort of participating politically in spaces where it wouldn't feel right or she doesn't want me to be like that hasn't come up, but I could totally see that it could, you know, and I don't, I don't see that as a problem for us. When it comes to your health, brushing your teeth is one of the most important parts of your day. Quip knows that. They've combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. Guiding pulses will alert you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of effortless. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel to anywhere, whether it's the gym or in your carry-on. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean itself, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering a new brush head every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. Find out for yourself why. Quip starts at $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash friends right now, you'll get your first refill free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free if you go to getquip.com slash friends. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut, I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, it's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiancé of Stevon Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. There's a certain level of deference mm -hmm. that has to happen, mm -hmm. right? I mean, certainly mm -hmm. in the relationships, I personally think, mm -hmm. personally and professionally, in all mm -hmm. the rest of the ways it needs to happen in mm -hmm. every area of, you know, because racism is systemic in every single corner in mm -hmm. every single industry. Mm -hmm. But that kind of deference I'm talking about is not submissive. Mm -hmm. It's respectful. Right. And 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 a, a kind of 
a regard. Right. You know, you know, you just said it's so much work to be black. I mean, I don't know that I would say it that way. Yeah. I understand and take your point. Um, but that it that there is a, a sense of regard right. for what it means to be mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. that is that seems so impossible for white people to right. understand. Yeah, I know. I mean, and I think what I mean by work is just endurance, you know, or having to continue through experiences that white people don't even have to be aware of, you know? And I think like, like I I hear things just like through my daily life that like white people will say, feeling sort of comfortable among like other white people, right? And I just think like, and I've had the thought many times, like this person could never be in an interracial relationship where I wouldn't wish that for any person of color who might know. Right. And these are liberal, like posting the right things on Facebook, going to the march type of people who are like, get really upset when they like, like the phrase white people makes their hackles. Like they can't handle it. They can't be I just, quiet, I, you know? I feel like, I mean, it, I have a very... I I alternate between like the Toni Morrison, y'all take me the fuck out of it, like deal with it, manage it. And also just this wild fascination of white people who are not just grown, but Mm -hmm. really went to all the right schools Mm -hmm. and say all the right things and Mm -hmm. actually don't Mm -hmm. know so many fundamental aspects of race and history Black History, since we're yeah. in Black History Month, this yeah. is the month where you know. <laughs> but it, but I just don't understand how yeah. how how you can get to that place, and and, it, and yeah. I I guess it's in some ways as simple as just the privilege and the freedom. Yeah, right? I think so, and I think like to me when I see people like I don't know, I do think that like, people's personalities, there is sort of who people are comes into it, but also I can't imagine being that way and having any intimate relationships with people of color in my life. Like what that says to me is that that person probably doesn't actually have an intimate relationship. They don't have a black partner or friend or anyone who's speaking honestly in their presence, because I don't know how you could do, you know, like they, they, I don't think they could tolerate it, you know, or they would have learned differently if they were participating in a relationship like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what makes me feel like it's, I go back to this idea that it's sort of like freakish in a way. <laughs> like yeah. People who have this kind of sense of conversancy and curiosity and deference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may, you know, because again, my husband's parents didn't think at all about race and identity. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he went to fine schools. He found the interest. He was drawn to it of his own accord. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like you came from, you know, yeah. a lot, a lot more of a, a racial yeah. landscape. Well, and I think part of it is like maybe even more so just being, I don't know, partly it's like having a, an experience of sort of feeling othered for a lot of my life for other reasons. And also just having it be a priority sort of in my upbringing and from a lot of different sources in my life to sort of listen and observe people to like be able to step back inside myself and not be self forward all of the time. Like I just had the, I just remembered um, this experience. I think it was last summer. Um, My partner and I were at a conference and there was, um, we were just hanging out after this reading in a group of all black people and me and her and this writer who we both admire. Um, and the conversation was about 
trauma and race and sort of what it's like to be in mostly white spaces because we were in a mostly white space. And afterwards, my partner said to me, I really appreciated the way that you were able to like participate in the conversation, but also like not take up space and not make it about you and, and like, listen, not totally shut down and like get freaked out, like be comfortable in the space, but also understand that it was, it wasn't your space basically. I mean, those weren't her words, but, um, and it made me like, I thought about that for a few days afterwards where I was like, why don't I have that thing? That's like, well, things are hard for me too. You know (laughs) what I mean? And, um, and I don't know. I think it's just like, if you're listening, it feels obvious, you know, like, what? What, yeah, go ahead. When you need to sort of take up space or when it's about you and when it's not. Like, it's not about me. You know? why, so why do you think, though, that people are such bad listeners? I think they just get scared. I think they feel threatened and they get scared and they don't want to be the bad guy. And it's like, it's a form of self-centeredness that I don't think is evil, but that is also a symptom of privilege, right? I think it's completely new experience to listen to someone and hear them talk about a group and not be like, ah, it's me, you know, like so many white people, I would say probably a majority of like liberal white people can't quite get past that fully, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. not about them, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Or that they are not, you know, to sort of just take accountability for that being, for like white history being their history, Mm -hmm. you know, like doesn't mean that you're a horrible person, but it does, we're all responsible for it, you know? Mm. And I think people can't just like dial back the me part of it and just fucking listen. I mean, there are horrible people though. There are horrible people. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things about this administration and this moment right now is that you know, we're seeing the horribleness, um, which is which is sort of letting off the hook the ones that aren't. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the but racism endures and is yeah. still really really prevalent in those yeah. circles of the right. Yeah. Kind of peop- white people. You yeah. Know? Um, and so it's I think it's really um, it's about accountability, um, and I try to do that in my relationship without because I have a tendency to <laughs> be very big in my ideas and my mm-hmm. opinions. Um, and so when I'm trying to hold my husband accountable, and this is without having had any, you know, backup, like yeah. like p- the former President Barack Obama who mm-hmm. wrote about, and I have written about, you know, mm-hmm. he sort of raised himself to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that as mm-hmm. well. And so there are these moments where I'm like, wait, what you just said to me sounds really fucking racist. Yeah. Um, and not always sure. How does he respond? So it's 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 interesting. I'm thinking, for example, um, you know, our son who is 12, uh, although it goes pretty quickly. And so, of course, we've already yeah. started talking about yeah. college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband's a professor, so we, we, we think about these things. But I said there's no way that he's not going to apply or at least, at least look at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, you know— that's fine, but a lot of those schools are underfunded. Uh, they're not, you know, don't always have the best mm-hmm. education program, you know, this mm-hmm. and that. And I was like, the fuck you just said? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So we got into this argument because I felt like I don't really, what you're saying, you know, is the suge- is the the implication that just because it's a black school means that yeah. it's not going to be as good of an education and, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. So then, you know, we didn't really resolve it. 
um, the next morning I'm driving my son to school and, and he said, do you really think that dad is racist? And I said, it felt racist to me. And he said, <laughs> he said, here's the thing, mom, dad really is about facts. And it's really true. Yeah. My husband doesn't say stuff that he just thinks. Right. He says stuff that he knows. It sounded insensitive to me, yeah. but he really was referring to something yeah. that he yeah. had either read or verified. Yeah. So it's, it's, wow. it's interesting. It's, oh, it sounds so good for your kid. Just to be able, like, if we all, so, man, if we all were able to sort of watch those conversations happen between people who respect and love each other as we grew, you know, like, I just wish that for everybody. <laughs> I was so struck by how well he knows us yeah. at 12. Yeah. Right. Like he knew that I was, like, I was coming hot and heavy yeah. with my and thoughts on this. And that he feels yeah. comfortable asking you, like, do you really think that? And yeah. it's like, with what it sounds like, genuine curiosity and maybe a little like, eh, is yeah. that true? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sort of poised and, um, man. Yeah. I know it's early, but do you guys talk about kids? We do. And it's interesting. Like I sort of want to pick your brain about it because like we've talked about a lot of different options and, um, you know, it looks like a biological option is probably not going to be, I'm probably going to ask you to have coffee with me to talk yeah, about sure. adoption stuff, sure. um, which is something I know we both share a little bit. Um, but you know, it's like, We've talked about it a little bit, and I know we'll have to have lots of other conversations because, like, what does it look like depending on the race of our child? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I have, um, you know, more than one white friend or white friends who have adopted Black children. And it's like, on one hand, it's amazing. That's wonderful. Adoption is wonderful, and it also makes me uncomfortable. And, like— I, there are things I want for that kid that I worry they, you know, and of course, like, I'm sure they're worried about that too, but the implications, I don't, it seems very, very complex. And I know that you've yeah, done a lot of yeah. thinking and processing. I mean, there was a period issues. of time, um, uh, like a window where we were talking about having a second kid. And at this point, you know, my son had he, probably four, four or five and was very sort of interested in, in the idea. Um, but also, at that point knew that I was adopted and, and was aware of what that meant for me and, and that there was some level of pain. Mm -hmm. He could, he could register mm -hmm. that. Um, and he said, so maybe we, you know, we, we adopt as a way for you to work through your pain. Wow. Um, which was heartbreaking <laughs> and amazing. And also, you know, I had to say, you know, you can't use a person to work through your, your emotions yeah. and your issues. And he said, but you know, we could, you, you know, you, we could adopt a, a child that looks black, you know, yeah. so that, so oh, that, you God. know, that that would be complete our family in a yeah. way. Um, and, and I thought to myself, I mean, first of all, I am not the person to adopt anybody <laughs> <laughs> at all, <laughs> but I also couldn't help but think how that would feel for me to have a adopted black outwardly looking black child and then a biological child who he does look like me quite a bit, yeah. um, but is light, lighter skinned and what that would feel like. And where yeah. would there be some kind of, I don't know, yeah. some kind of struggle in terms of, I don't know. The, um, but I, I would say, yeah, we should have coffee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, there's no easy way when you're talking about having, I mean, I think in relationships and in families, like interracial, fa you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's going to be whatever's out there is also in us and we bring it into and we're right. going to have to untangle it 
in some way. You right. Know? I mean, my my husband has said, um, you know, and this is this is evolving all the time. Um, I had written something, or oh, this, this was the, this was an argument, <laughs> another argument um, about we we travel with my closest um, friend who is black and her son mm-hmm. who is uh, just a year older than mine um, once a year. She lives in Philadelphia and we visit um, fr- quite frequently. Um, but we had some kind of disagreement about the actual time and when we could go and when we couldn't go. And mm-hmm. I felt like he was not placing it as a, seeing it as a priority mm-hmm. and seeing how important it is for me to spend the time mm-hmm. with this chosen family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, you know, what I'd like moving forward and I think is possible is for you to consider us a different kind of black family. Mm. Um, and that is right. That, uh, that is a family that has black people in it and that everybody in it thinks about what that means and how Mm -hmm. important that is. Mm -hmm. And I sort of felt like that was kind of great. It's so great. It's real. It's making me plumped again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I think. I don't know, just like when I think about what I know about your story and like feeling, it just sounds so healing. You know what I mean? And like, and also just thinking of like, you know, a a black space as a place where you see other people who look like you, but also as a space where metaphysically like you are considered, like blackness is considered and respected and talked about. Right. And like- you can work through, you can, you can bring home what happens out there and process it with the people in your home. Like it's a space that honors and loves blackness, you know, no matter exactly. what color the people exactly. in it are. Like it gives me chills, you know, like he's good. He, yeah, he's a keeper. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> he's definitely a keeper. So just to establish like the cultural landscape, the racial cultural landscape mm-hmm. of your own social circle, what mm-hmm. does that look like? Um, my social cultural landscape is very queer, vast majority female, and quite racially mixed, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, there's this notion that we all talk about this stuff all the time. We kind of do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, like movies and art and whatever, I mean, what is, do you, are you aware that your group is, is different from groups that you see in other spaces and places. Yeah, I am. Um, I think, I don't know, because, you know, my family is, was very different from most families in the place where I grew up. But because of that, I grew up in a very white, relatively privileged place um, in New England. And I just felt sort of culturally in terms of like, not even just in terms of race, but in terms of queerness, in terms of culture, in terms of music, in terms of literature, just what people were into, I felt freakish where I was. Like, I was very clearly interested in very different things. My family was interested in very different... My dad's a Puerto Rican sea captain. My mom is a, like, bisexual Buddhist feminist psychotherapist. Like, we didn't have a TV. That's pretty interesting, though. We were vegetarian. Yeah, I mean, I learned it was interesting, and I loved my family. I never wanted to be in anyone else's family, but it was just, like, there was no one else like us. And so when I was really young, I had this idea, I got this idea from books that New York would be the place where I would like find my community, my larger, my peers who felt like my peers, you Mm -hmm, know, and mm -hmm. that, 
was completely true. <laughs> you same. Know what I mean? Totally same. It was completely true. And I feel like they're really, because I didn't grow up with that. And because even like as a teenager, I moved out early and went to Boston and dropped out of high school and was like really sort of desperately searching for my people for my whole young life, you know? And so I never take it for granted. Like I have so many moments of being like, this is so lucky to be around people that I can feel totally comfortable with, have these conversations, be able to assume like a certain amount about sort of their sympathies and politics and what they're interested in and what they respect. And there's not going to be any sort of rude surprises about their secret racism, you know? Um, and it's really, really varied too, you know, like there's a high concentration of writers, but you know, I have like immigrant friends and friends from, you know, that identifies white from other countries. And, but I think probably what we all share is that we were all looking for that chosen family. Even if we have a family, like I'm very close with my family, but in terms of like my community, mm. like I worked mm -hmm. really hard to yeah. find them. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I think also um, in the last couple of years, even prior to the election, um, right around, you know, when Trayvon um, was shot and Zimmerman was acquitted and then mm -hmm. Mike Brown and this, this whole series of mm -hmm. events that happened and really radicalized me both as a writer and as a parent and as a mm -hmm. woman. Um, and there were some casualties in terms of friendships. Mm -hmm. um, and I considered those now interracial relationships in their own way mm -hmm. as well. And there mm -hmm. were a lot of rude, unpleasant surprises. Mm -hmm. um, and I just also realized that I had been so conditioned. Mm -hmm. This is the tricky thing about being white folks and adopting black kids mm -hmm. is that your, you know, intentions mean nothing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. But that I had been so conditioned to believe that white was right or that white mm -hmm. people were right just because they were white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then started to realize what felt like shameful complicity you know, right. that I had right. allowed for that relationship to extend. But then what happened when I, when I called, when I tried to be, hold these folks accountable is that it just exploded. Oof. Yeah. Have you had any friendships that have fallen? You know, I think not in that way, not in, there was no supernova, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I definitely have let go of people, you know, where it just didn't. And this has happened sort of over the course of my whole life, but certainly in the last five years more so, you know, where there were just people and it happened sort of in my mind, uh, in a way that's connected to racism, but then also in terms of, um, my queerness too, where there are just friends that maybe I had when I was in college and we liked more of the same things and they sort of, moved into a very sort of like straight white space that just, there was like nothing, you know, if I, I realized like if I met them today, we would never become friends. And in fact, I probably wouldn't even cross paths, you know, that there mm. are just people that I don't relate to. And I even think like after the election, there were just some people that seemed like, oh yeah, it's terrible. But like not, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Where like yeah. they weren't, it, it wasn't. Yeah. And and I'm not, I, I'm not interested in prescribing how people should feel or express how they feel. You know what I mean? Like we all deal with sort of terrible things in different ways. But I do think that if you are a white person who moves through mostly white spaces and mostly straight spaces and mostly able spaces, um, even now, 
sort of the difference between the Trump era and before is largely abstract. Like you can choose to not think about it. You know what I mean? You can choose to like continue to watch your TV shows full of white people and read your books by white people and not, and think about it and be like, oh, that's terrible. Just scroll on Facebook and like type a hashtag. But, um, but I never forget, you know what I mean? Because my life is full of people of color, you know? And it's just not how I live, you know? Like I'm just thinking about how it affects the people that I love and therefore sort of all people all of the time, you know, like I can't really step away from it. And so when I see other people who can do that, who sort of indulge that, you know, and I think that's different from the way that, you know, activists have to take care of themselves, you know, and like take breaks from things, but people who actively can just, you know, not think about it yeah, and not do anything about it. I mean, I, I, for a minute feel like, that that a lot of white folks certainly who have approached me about well, how can they be better and how it's a catch 22 if i ask then i'm not doing the emotional yeah. work and if i don't then i'm not then i'm ignoring and it drives just, me crazy it drives me so crazy just and part of it is like me the like professor who's cra- i'm just like do your fucking homework yeah, right. like yeah. you have access to everything you have an internet you know like yeah. really you're yeah. going to add to the labor of your like black friend or the one person you know or hear talking about it like no there are so many ways for you to find out how you can be better people are writing books with titles like how (laughs) white people can be better you know like don't be lazy like the time is up for that (laughs) amen Mm. melissa phoebos thank you so much for coming and talking thank you so much keep dreaming but make it a reality with squarespace I use Squarespace myself for my own personal site, which doesn't do much of anything besides kind of uh, serve as a landing page for people who are Googling me. But I do know enough about the process to tell you it was incredibly easy to set up and it looks great. It looks great because Squarespace offers you these beautiful templates that you can then kind of tweak and make your own with your own kind of settings and products. It just takes a few clicks. No matter what it is you want to advertise or promote, whether it's your work or a blog or a product or a service or a physical or online business or maybe a wedding or any other special project, I don't know, including kids. I think kids count as special products, don't they? Uh, You can use Squarespace to do it. Everything is also optimized for mobile right out of the box with nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial and when you are ready to launch your dream, use the offer code FRIENDS to save 10%. Quinta Brunson is a writer and performer living in Los Angeles and she's also super funny and super black and she (laughs) goes by Quinta B. Hey, Quinta. Hey, how's it going, super black? (laughs) It's going pretty good. I had to mention how black you are because... um, because we're talking about interracial relationships. And um, my previous guest um, is a, a outwardly appearing uh, white woman who's involved with a black woman. I'm a black woman involved with a white man. You are a black woman involved with a white man. Mm-hmm. So, the you know, I just wanted to have a sort of nuanced approach to this conversation about what it feels like to be in interracial relationships anyway, but right now specifically um, Mm -hmm. under the Trump administration and also with the Black Panther movie uh, one week out from opening. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you know, we reached out because um, I was struck by a tweet that I saw of yours where you said, don't fetishize interracial relationships. Okay. Well, it said, don't fetishize them. I'm in one. 
Or I think it's weird when people fetishize. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I was what, just thinking about how I see people make certain comments about them like they're just amazing or more than the average relationship with people who are in relationships in the same race or even the way people will talk bad about them is a form of fetishizing them as well because, I mean, it's really just a relationship. So I think it's weird because, you know, everybody comes with their own shit. And, um, you know, at the root, every person is is a person and everyone has their own stuff going on. So there's nothing special about an interracial relationship that makes it more fulfilling than a same race relationship. Can it be nuanced and different in a way that isn't special or fetishized? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think that's the case with any relationship, though. I mean, if people are in a relationship where both people are engineers and they're Black, one cool nuanced thing is they're both engineers. And that's cool, and that presents its own conversations within their relationship and stuff like that. I just think that when people fetishize them or think about them as more more than just a relationship between two people, then I think it becomes weird, you know? And I get why people do. It's because, especially if there's like a Black person and a white person, there's just so much that comes with it. But at the root of it is just two people trying to talk about the right way to put on, to put toilet paper on a roll. That's probably the main <laughs> issue in that relationship. <laughs> So you just said you understand why people sort of might fetishize or look at interracial relationships as something different from a regular relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what do you understand those reasons to be? Uh, well, in our society where race plays such a big part in how people begin their lives, begin their thesis statements, begin their art, I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around um, interracial relationships and how they might work. And even if they can wrap their heads around it, uh, they want to know so much about how it's working or they're looking at it as a huge feat over everything. I've I've seen people say stuff like, see, um, you know, love is love. And I'm like, yeah, it's love is still love when two black people are together or two white people okay, are together. I you know what you I mean? mean? I just think that people are constantly using it as a a weapon for their arguments. So when you say people, yeah. who are the people who are saying that? I mean, usually, like I, I, usually the online community. And um, but are they white or are they are, are they mixed or is it oh a, both a, a, white, white white black every race every race? So I mean, I, notably, and and I've only seen. I mean, I don't know how many episodes you have of um, it's Quinta Quinta versus everything. Is that yeah. what your your mm-hmm. Facebook show is called? Mm-hmm. Um, but. In most of the episodes that I've seen, you are always partnered with a black boyfriend or partner. Mm-hmm. Is that by design, or is that what you expect, or you think that your audience is will be more palpable to your audience? Yeah. So for my show Quinta versus Everything, I wrote that there's two reasons why my boyfriend is black. One is that my friend Garrick was sitting across the desk from me when I wrote it, and I asked him if he was free to play my boyfriend in my show, and he was like, "Yeah." And Garrick is black, and therefore the, the character was black, you yeah. know what I mean? And then the other thing is, I mean, I'd written it on past relationships that um, that 
where you know where I was I was dating um, you know a black man, so it made sense for for Garrick to play that character. Also, I do feel sometimes a certain responsibility to make sure I showcase um, black relationships on screen. But I've also done my part in showcasing whatever relationships in my life. I've dated a lot of different people. And one of the benefits of that is being able to share those experiences um, in whatever capacity. A lot of my old work features interracial relationships. Um, A lot of my work also features uh, same-race relationships. So it's really whatever I feel like at that moment. And sometimes I feel like, you know, taking on the responsibility of showcasing more Black love. And sometimes I I just want to tell the truth, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But the, so when you say you just want to tell the truth, Mm -hmm. the two, I mean, telling the truth and showing Black love are not mutually exclusive, right? No, they're not. But I think that sometimes, I think it's all telling the truth, but then there comes in that other part, like, well, I have two truths here. The truths are I've, I've dated a bunch of people. I've dated Black guys, I've dated white guys, I've dated people of different races. Um, which truth would I like to go with today? And you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. you can tell different stories. That's the beauty of being a, a storyteller, a creator, a writer, or a comic, is that you have these experiences and you can tell stories based off of them. But then sometimes you pick according to what people will enjoy watching more, enjoy mm-hmm. hearing about more. Right, right. So you were saying, we were talking about what people sort of um, amplify or or put upon interracial relationships because Mm -hmm. of the way that race works and and has historically and and is heightened right now during the Trump administration, um, which is openly racist, white supremacist, misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Um, So how, though, does that not seep into... An inter- your your relationship, an interracial relationship. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, you know, an example. Um, you know, my my husband is not he's not into movies anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole hype around the Black Panther movie, which is you know, my son and I are going to go. We're going to go to a black theater because there's something really, like, really moving and deeply important for us to experience that. Mm-hmm. So another white person in a relationship might be like, well, why can't I go? Yeah, I mean, you know and that would be the person I don't really want to be with, right? Because you have two individuals and you have to talk about what is important to you, what is important for you to feel good about yourself, what's important for you as an individual. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, in, in my relationship and in relationships in the past, me needing to do a certain thing for self, self-care self or wanting to watch a certain thing or a certain thing being important to me should not threaten my partner. You know what I mean? Um, you know, my, my partner is, is Jewish and he celebrated Hanukkah this year. I didn't. I'm not Jewish. But that's what my partner, you know, that's what he wanted to do. So I think it, it to me, it's kind of the same as that. Like, I'm, I'm going to go see Black Panther, too. And I'm kind of in the position where we we can go and go to a theater with everyone, but I do feel the kind of the same thing where I want to go to like a theater with all of my black friends and watch it in a black theater. And if he was ever like that, would just never come out of his mouth. Why can't I come? He already kind of knows why he can't come, which is kind of what I love about him is the respect for me needing to honor a part of me 
that he's, he may not necessarily be involved with. You know what right. I mean? I mean, but that that is also, I think, an inherent part of being in an interracial relationship is yeah. for people to, I mean, I, I really get what you're saying about two individuals at the end of the day trying to put toilet paper on a roll. I really, really do right. get that. Yeah. Um, you know, my <laughs> husband and I happen to have conversations about this because he's a professor and he teaches race and history. And mm-hmm. that's, a, you know, a really important and integral reason that he is somebody I can be with because he's right. conversant in that way. But I, but I, I feel like there are interracial relationships that can't work or don't work because people are so programmed and, you know, they have, it's been so heavily inculcated, you know, the roles that black people play, the roles that white people play in the society. And so right. I'm just interested in, managing that on a daily basis on top of two people just trying to put toilet paper. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it just takes extreme respect for the the needs of the other person. And it's weird, too. I saw like a video go viral last year of this girl in a relationship with a guy who was like, I think, like openly a white supremacist or whatever. Yeah. Which was so interesting to me. And it's like, that's not that's not a healthy relationship. You know what I mean? Like, that is what that is. That's what I'm trying to express. At the base of that, that's not a healthy relationship. That person doesn't respect a huge part of who you are. You have no business being with them. Same as a person who doesn't respect the fact that you're a woman or respect the fact that you may like Marvel movies and they like DC. Like, it's just like respect for the other individual is really important. And I do understand, you know, what you're saying. I think when when my boyfriend and I currently first started dating, uh, there, there were things we had to learn about each other. For instance, at first, and this was just my situation, I wasn't comfortable, um, like, holding hands in public because I wasn't yet comfortable with the relationship, really, and in my place in the relationship being a Black woman. And I knew what kind of weight was going to come with it. But I had to express that to my partner. And it's like, hey, here's the, the weight put upon me as a Black woman and what it means for me to be holding hands with you out in public. And yeah. I didn't need him to say, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, he said, oh, I, I understand. Thank you for explaining that to me. Let's take our time. You know what I mean? And that that's important. Yeah. You need respect as an individual to be able to, or you need to respect each other as individuals to be able to continue on in the relationships. But I, I do get what you're saying. Right. There's some mean, different stuff to deal with. But it, would, but it wouldn't be like if you were, if, if it were too you know, black folks in a couple, in a couple or two white folks or wh- whatever. And you were like, I don't want to hold your hand because you like Marvel movies <laughs> and I like DC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'm, I very much, I, I relate to that, that being in public kind of thing, especially now. So I think yeah. that's to bring it back to sort of the, the, the Trump era and administration and how it has sort of surfaced this kind of vile white supremacy um, mm-hmm. and hatred of black and, and brown folks um, that, you know, it's not that my my husband, I was about to call him my boyfriend, my <laughs> husband, it's not that my husband isn't on the right side of things. It's not that he doesn't recognize what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that at the end of the day, in these trying times, like I kind of want to just show up and show out with with another black person. Yeah, like I want to look across the table and see, you know, you know what I mean. Like I want. Yeah, I, it, for sure. It's hard for me to because nobody, you know, the rest of the when you're in public, 
nobody knows that this person is, you know, that my husband is a, a tenured professor who stud who who teaches race and gender and social policy and historic and history. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, what's that black woman doing? You know what I mean? Like that. Right. And it's just never felt more poignant for me than now. And and yeah. I think also in terms of safety. I agree. Do, do, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think that um, that's something that I can battle with sometimes, you know, I, my, um, you know, partner and I, we go places and he makes me feel safe as an individual. But I also know there's places where our relationship will confuse people. And I, I don't want either of us to be subjected to, the, to that kind of scrutiny for no reason. Right. So for instance, like, this is a good example. I was uh, invited to the um, I was invited to I think the Ebony, the Ebony like Power One Hundred Gala or whatever, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things where it was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable bringing my boyfriend. I don't know if mm-hmm. I feel comfortable with the kind of even though he's fine with it, you know he he gets stuff thrown at him all the time, <laughs> like just straight up to his face, like what are you doing with this black woman? What is going on? And he eats it because he's like, yeah, this is the worst thing that can happen to me as a a white guy in this environment. But that's my partner and I love him. So I don't necessarily want him to have to go through that. So it's not that Mm -hmm. people will be mean to us. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't know if I feel like being uncomfortable the whole night. And I don't feel like I want him being uncomfortable the whole night. So I'll just go by myself. You know what I mean? It's like. I do. I really do. And I also think that. And I keep coming back to where we are um, as a country. Um, I feel like we're being forced in a way to do that more and more. And that can take a toll on relationships. Like, yes, my, my husband definitely gets that, you know, you can't come to this, you can't come to, or not you can't, but this podcast that I'm creating is about black folks. It's called black folks. And so you're not black. You know, yeah. Um, and he gets that, but I'm going to spend a, a tremendous amount of time trying to make this podcast really brilliant. So that's a lot of time that I'm spending not with him. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really essential for a relationship. Spending time. With yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. And how so, long have you guys been married? Thirteen years in April. Um, mm. together for fifteen. Um, and it's you know it's he is. A really, he's almost like a changeling, you know. He's almost freakishly um, curious and compassionate and interested. You know, his whole life trajectory: very white people, very white parents, grew up in New Jersey. Um, but all of his friends, all he was always drawn to culture and and black and brown people. Just found it more f- found it more interesting, you know. And I think that 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 is, you know, I talked a little bit with my previous guest about this. Is just finding those people who are able to um, be deferential without feeling defensive, you know, to, you said it earlier yourself, to mm. respect and to regard what race and Black identity is without sort of um, <laughs> being racist. <laughs> yeah. Because it really takes so many forms, you know. I mean, there's, there's like you said, the people who are, Oh, see, love is love, which is low-key racist. Like, not actually recognizing it's that just, this is a black You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's it's too much of a throwaway statement. It's too much of a Band-Aid yeah. statement. You know what I mean? It's like a—it's yeah. a lack of—you know, I, 
I do a lot of reading about love and I'm not much of a Bible person, but there is a scripture that I think is good when it talks about what love actually is for another human being. And I think that, you know, not just interracial relationships, every relationship there is, right? You have to have understanding and compassion for the person that you are with. You have to be understanding of things you previously might have never had the opportunity to to be understanding about. You know what I mean? There are a lot of things that, you know, my boyfriend and I are confronted with where we never had to deal with them before. So why would I expect right. him to understand every single thing? You know, he never had to really deal with it until he met me. But compassion is a really important part that should be a part of every relationship and learning when that person needs to take care of themselves and learning the role you play in that and learning not to be offended by them taking care of themselves. You know what I mean? If he ever told me he needed to do something with his family where, you know, I wasn't invited because it would maybe, I don't know, that hasn't happened with us yet, but maybe it was a, maybe it's a Jewish celebration or something. I'm not Jewish. I can't, what am I supposed to say? Let me in there. I don't care. Let me in that bitch. <laughs> you know, like that. that's not compassionate, I don't think. It's not respectful of his culture or his life that maybe I don't have a full understanding. And he doesn't have an understanding completely. He knows, he sees, but he has never grown up in a black woman's body. That's what I've done. So when I say I need something or I need space or I need to do this thing, he's like, okay. You know what I mean? He like backs yeah. off because I think he respects that he he hasn't. It's I guess it's empathy is really important or uh, sympathy. No empathy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think empathy is, is hard. Uh, you know because it's really about feeling what another person feels, and I don't yeah, really I guess, think white people can yeah, have the capacity the, for yeah, that. Yeah, I guess it's not empathy. Um, but I think it's compassion. I do. It's compassion. Yeah. But that is really yeah. also very difficult, um, especially if you haven't had to use that muscle right. um, for most of your life. And so I think that that's why we're seeing right now a lot of divisiveness um, because, it, you know, when it comes to the mar- the women's march or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, we're really seeing the where people, I mean, it's one thing to say you're an ally. It's very easy to say you're an ally, but it's another thing to actually, you know, imp- employ go headlong into um sort of listening yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah, listening sure. and not you know well I um, guess the part for me just to go back to what I was talking about earlier about why I think interracial relationships I understand the times we're living in but why I think the fundamentals in the relationships are the same for every other relationship this is this is the reason like I had a friend her and her boyfriend uh he couldn't understand that she needed to have time with her girlfriends to discuss something she was going through. You know what I mean? She was going through a very difficult time. And for her, it was easier to talk with her girlfriends. Not that she didn't want to talk to him, but she was dealing with, you know, issues of womanhood. She wanted to be around other women to talk about those issues. He didn't understand that. It was a huge issue. They wound up breaking up. After a while, like after a year, they wound up breaking up. But what was missing in that relationship, and these are two black people, was compassion for the other person's needs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I just feel like 
that is a strand that has to be a part of every relationship and interracial or not. And when dealing with what the rest of the world is throwing at us, the Trump era, this this race era we're in right now, this race discussion era, compassion is like what needs to be at the root of these relationships in order for them to continue. What does your um, your social landscape look like? And, and are you and your boyfriend's friends, you know, do, do they cross over in Venn diagram form? Yeah, kind of. We had a group of friends that uh, I knew from college. He knew from back home. So those are the friends we share. And, and as we've been together, we've become friends with each other's friends outside of that little department. And is that a pretty mixed? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's racially diverse. Um age diverse and uh, sexual orientation diverse. Yeah, it's a very mixed environment. And so have has there ever been any any of your friends who've sort of taken issue with you being, I mean, maybe not your closer friends, but friends or who have said, why are you with a white guy? No, not my friends, you know? No, no. I, I mainly get that from like, People very removed from my life, people on social media, people who I haven't seen in years, or people who don't know me that well. And what do you say? Or do you just ignore? Oh, yeah. I tell them to mind their fucking business. It's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's none of your fucking business. It's like asking me, there's something about that that bothers me, where that's a space people think that they can enter and have a bunch of opinions on. Like, you don't. You don't really know me to be asking those questions. Mind your fucking business. I don't even know what else to say to that. It's just like, who do you think yeah. you are? Mind your business. Yeah, I had, I had an ex-boyfriend, a black ex-boyfriend, because I've written mm-hmm. a lot about race and um, my experience growing up adopted um, mm-hmm. in a white family and just sort of, it's heavy for me, um, but I had this ex-boyfriend ask me wh- wh- why if being black and uh, and being around black people and having was so important to me, why did I marry a white guy? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was tempted to say it's none of your business, mm-hmm. um, but I, it was also like, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Right. I thought that was a good question at the end of the day. And and I think it goes right directly to what you said and how you started. And I, I hate, like, I don't want to sound like cheesy or whatever, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's the guy that I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how that happened. And it, yeah. and, and, and I, but I couldn't have fallen in love with him if he were not as compassionate yeah. and racially aware. Yeah. You know, he thinks about it. He thinks about blackness, black folks, race every day. And I think every person should, given Mm -hmm. the way this country was created. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting? When I think black women are with white men, people act as if you did it on purpose. It's very, you know what I mean? Like that's been what I've realized. It's like they act like you went out found a white guy. It was like, me, you, let's fucking do it. No, like, there. that's not how it goes. Cause it, and that's how, what I hear from comments like that. It's like, you did this on purpose to hurt me. And I don't think that's, I, re- I don't think that's really the case with most people. You know, I think you're, you're out here dating and then you fall in love with that person. And, it, and it's weird too, because it is, it almost cancels out all the times you dated, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
yeah. with, within no, your No, I mean, I was really trying to do the opposite. I mean, I really was not trying to, first of all, I was trying to not be involved with anybody, but yeah. I was certainly not trying to be involved with a white guy. Yeah, you know, I, I had hesitance when my relationship was building. You know, my relationship was building with my partner. And that was a lot for me because ultimately we're, we as Black women are really thinking about our position within that relationship. And if it blossoms, we know what kind of comments are going to be thrown our way. So you're, mm-hmm. you're uh, grappling with whether or not you want to go through that. And then, but also you're going with the fact of like, hey, I just, I'm just out here trying to be loved. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's yeah. nice yeah. and love someone back. But you know what kind of comments you're going to get that that person is not going to get, you know? So we have these different tiers and layers to deal with. And ultimately we make the decision that, you know what, I'm going to let this flower bloom. I'm not going to stomp it out because I'm afraid of what people will say. And, but you're not out here trying to do it on purpose. I was dating so many different people and this happened to be the person I fell in love with. And who knows, one day I might fall out of love with the person and be with someone else, you know? So it's just like no one's doing Nobody's it on purpose. Listening. <laughs> but 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 you know what? That's what I like about yeah. my relationship is I get to be Quinta Brunson in full and flesh all the time with my partner. And I feel like finding that with someone is the important part because that's, it's crazy. It's it's and it's rare. I mean it's rare yeah. across the board. One hundred percent. And I don't care where somebody finds it. If you can find that, I think that is you know what I mean? That's important. I do. I do. Quinta, thank you so much for talking with me. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I'm thank a fan you. of your stuff and just keep uh, rocking out there. Thank you so much for having me. It's been super fun hosting and sitting in for Anna, and she will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 